welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. As always, at least till now, I am your host, Tom, and I am joined by... Uh, Dan, your brother. I'm not quite sure what accent you were trying to do there, to be honest. A mix of indistinguishable accents, so not really anything. Well, indistinguishable accents aside, how are you doing today, Dan? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm tired. Uh, we were actually going to record yesterday, and I was just like, no, <laughs> I'm way too tired to do this. I uh, And I decided to actually go pick up Death Stranding that yesterday evening and instead of like watching a movie, play that semi-inter... Well, it's very interactive. It's I would say it's almost an interactive movie, except there are very... It's weird. It's definitely a full action exploration game. And yet you could describe certain sequences as really, really interactive, you know, kind of like heavy rain type stuff, except it's not... I don't know how to describe it. It's one of the most interesting games I've ever played. I've really been enjoying it. Um, I guess the only thing I'll say about that is on the way outside, I saw the raccoon show back up. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just look out my back door, going to walk to my garage, and I just see a raccoon standing on the uh, walkway in my backyard, just staring at me. I just walk outside, and then it just darts towards me and runs under the deck. And I'm like, oh, whatever. You never <laughs> bothered anyone anyways. It's the possums that are the problem. Possums are always the real problem. You know, I don't think they should get to rhyme with the word awesome. <laughs> I feel like that's a crime in and of itself. But, you know, I, I guess I think we should just get started here. Um, let's start with some reader mail. So as you might know or not know, if you support us on Patreon at the right tier, you can write in reader mail. And of course, I use a letter opener to open that up and read it every day that we do a podcast over candlelight. The first <laughs> message in is from Carbon Cry, and it's actually a correction. I want to say this, too. I have a section for reader mail, for corrections, omissions, thoughts, you know, about things maybe we got wrong. You guys can use that. <laughs> I see people in the comments say, including people who support us on Patreon, who will say, well, I don't agree with this. Okay, well, tell us, because I'm probably not going to see it if it's in the comments. Uh, too busy making all these videos, but he has a correction, and it is a note on nodes. In your last episode, you kind of mixed up EUV and FinFET back and forth. TSMC 7 nanometer EUV is a FitFET, FinFET node. 7 nanometer is feature size. EUV is manufacturing method. And FinFET is the structure of the gates. I know this is nitpicking. I don't actually think it is nitpicking, Carbon Cry. <laughs> Us just saying, calling something the wrong thing isn't really a nitpick. That's the correction. No, no, no. I, I'm glad. Yeah, exactly. Use the reader mail, everybody. I'm glad Carbon Cry wrote in. Um, and uh, yeah, I actually knew most of this. Well, I do know this. I just, uh, don't worry. After we re got done recording, I realized immediately, I kind of fucked up <laughs> FinFed and EUV all over the place, didn't I? Oh, well. Uh, I think most of you knew what I meant, but some people who listen for sure do not know that I screwed that up. And so thank you for writing that. And that's correct. So right now, you know, Pretty much everything that isn't a main Intel node is FinFET. Not all of them, though. You know, Global Foundries has uh, their own nodes coming out that don't use it as well. So that's just the gates, though. And I'll try my best to not mix up throwing these around while I'm talking. But to be honest, we usually record these when it's late at night and I get tired. And so I will hope 
you will forgive me. And he also writes in and says, I am glad Dan is interrupting you now. This is the turning point. From now on, Dan will dominate Broken Silicon. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this. This definitely isn't just me getting more comfortable with doing this and recording. It is me slowly and frankly, violently taking over the podcast. Yes, I've I've been told to watch my back. I'm actually, I mean, before we started recording, I was like, you can do this, you can do this. I mean, you know that, that raccoon you saw last night, Tom? Uh, I sent it. I thought you were going to say that was you in a raccoon outfit. <laughs> no, I am working on the raccoon outfit. I probably shouldn't have told you that. The neighbors just hear in the backyard. And you're like, what the fuck? Dan, I mean to shoot you. Why are you in a raccoon outfit? <laughs> Why'd you sh- Why did I shoot a raccoon? Why did you think a raccoon was six feet tall? <laughs> Why did you think you could fool me? As a raccoon that's six feet tall. Well, I assume... It'd be a real mess. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, we have another reader mail question here, and I think it ties into the previous one. Conan the Librarian, this is Conan's smarter brother, uh, says, does AMD plan on making GPUs on 7 nanometer EOV? Well, yeah, I mean, I assume so. Although at this point, I'm kind of just getting sick of guessing which will use which node. I mean, it's very clear that TSMC holds all the cards now. As I've said multiple times, I think it's in TSMC's best interest to make AMD as competitive against Intel for the next two years as they can so they can make the strongest Intel competitor well, the getting's good. Um, But I think what I would say, Conan, is there are so many options. In the next few years, we are going to get from TSMC 7 nanometer EUV, 6 nanometer EUV, and 5 nanometer, all, all, all in a small, short time span. And all of them may have varying levels of yields and capacities. And I really think we all need to be ready for a world where we have tons of different products on 5, 6, 7, 12 nanometer, 16, 14, all at the same time. In fact, 3 nanometer might be here by the end of 2022. So we might have a bizarre situation where 3 is also out then. So I, I think. Let's stop assuming anything's going to use a really specific node, right? I don't know. That's just kind of my thoughts at this point is I think I've taught nodes to death. (laughs) Yeah. um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Like, I think we've said that before. Uh, The real winner of the last couple of years is TSMC. Like, they've just been killing it. Everyone wants to use TSMC at this point. So maybe it will be up for TSMC to dictate who's using what. Um, I... I don't know. I have no clue, though, what AMD's plans are. I mean, I think it's pretty much assumed that RDNA 2.0 will use 7 nanometer EUV. But again, it it's actually, I believe, design compatible with their 6 nanometer EUV process on purpose. So they could just decide to put it on 6 nanometer. But it depends if TSMC or AMD or both, you know, a combination of their needs think that a different product would use it better and that they'll get a better price using a different node. Maybe the performance difference won't be a big deal. Expect a lot of different nodes to be used here. And I guess the one thing I did want to add on to that, though, is that I'm surprised we don't see any 12 nanometer FDX announcements for Global Foundries. I keep saying that. I'm like, (laughs) what is going on there? AMD is using 7 nanometer for everything. Um, That certainly backs up what Cortex has said that there aren't capacity problems at TSMC. There's just kind of allocation problems. Yeah. And that 
And if and TSMC is gonna just going to double their fab capacity, well, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what Global Foundry's use is to AMD moving forward outside of really cheap IO dies. And I I would be blown away if they didn't use uh, at least twelve nanometer FinFET for whatever their Jaguar replacement is going to be. Yeah, like their lower end products. All right. Anyways, let us move on to the first story, and that is going to be the thirty nine. 50x. So the reviews hit last week, and I gotta say, it was as usual with all of these launches, not exactly what I thought it would be. I mean, I guess I'll speak for myself. I thought the 3950x, you know, 3900x with its 105 watt TDP, it typically uses more than that in energy, and I expected the 3950x to really be about a 125 watt CPU in practice, mm-hmm. but also. And you know, and 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 they said we recommend 280 millimeter liquid cooling. So I assumed that meant <laughs> they thought it was going to use a lot of energy, and, and, and that it would um, kind of have a base clock that boosts higher uh, than the 3900X. That's not what we got. We got base clocks that basically boost exactly the same. Um, single core boost clocks that maybe are slightly better than the 3900X, but then it ends up using less energy than the 3950X. I mean, Linus Tech Tips, theirs on the same cooler, I think, was running at 71 watts or something instead of 80. I'm sorry, 71 uh, cel- degrees Celsius instead of 80 degrees Celsius for the 3900X. I mean, that's a big difference. I mean, yeah, I think their golden samples for chiplets are just all going into the 3950X then, right? Like this. <laughs> yeah, and I guess we don't know how many higher tiers of samples there are. I've always assumed that what this is is kind of like a second tier, maybe first tier chiplet on one end and then the other end is like a 3800x chiplet yeah that, that's my assumption you know we won't know for sure until we see what threadripper has and it, i guess if someone did a really really tight breakdown of like an epic chip where they took maybe one of the really expensive ones and like disabled certain chiplets and checked what voltage they ran at but that even that really wouldn't be scientific because the io dies bigger for epic so we're, we are basically left guessing which tier chiplet it is, but it's it's clearly markedly higher than the 3900X. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it seems to outperform the 3900X in like every way. So I'm saying in like every metric. <laughs> yeah, including using less energy. And so, I, yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to I'm gonna try to snag it. And again, I've, I keep saying I'm not in a rush to upgrade, but I know it will benefit me at this point. And I think that's the one to get. Um, if you're someone like me that wants to go pretty much to the limits of what will benefit you, even if there's some diminishing returns, but I'm not willing to just throw money away. Yeah, I mean, and really for gaming, I based on the benchmarks I'm reading, I I was reading it looks like you could probably even make do with the 3800X if you want top-end gaming, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, for me, it's not really for gaming, though. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm just saying, talking to gamers, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And speaking of gaming, though, this is something that I really had a have a bone to pick with that I'm going to start hammering moving forward. And that's the fact that it has 9900K gaming performance. And it actually, and I looked this up, it actually beats the 30, I mean, the 2950X Threadripper and multi-threaded. And actually, what I should have put in that video, so my video was called, as you know, and I thought it was pretty good, uh, 2950X in the streets, not I-9-9900K <laughs> in the sheets, you know, which is exactly what I think it, it is a very funny way to describe it. But 
I actually looked up last night 2970 WX benchmarks. And even in multi-threaded benchmarks, the 3950X was often beating it, if not in all the apps I would use. So I really should have said 2970WX <laughs> in the streets, which just goes to show you how over this is. I saw one review say the 3950X is AMD dancing on Intel's grave, desktop grave. And it's like, it is. This is absolutely insane. Like I, And again, and, and I, the point I didn't quite finish is this is 9900K gaming performance. A 1% difference, a 5% difference in some games is not, I'm so sick of this. This is becoming a pet peeve of mine. I'm so sick of reviewers saying it practically games as well as a 9900K. It does game as well as a 9900K. Linus Tech Tips found multiple games with a 95th percentile was higher for the 3950X. The 3950X wins in multiple games. It is, it is 9900K gaming performance. Let's put it this way. Nobody says, I hope, right? <laughs> that the 5700 XT is like practically 2070 super performance. It is 2070 yeah. super performance. <laughs> it's like within a few percentage points and there's games where it beats a 2080. I mean, yeah, I don't know. And it's just practically speaking in gaming, all of these, uh, uh, most of these CPUs, I feel like functionally perform the same most of the time. And then, I mean, with a couple exceptions, I guess, and that's why I said like the 3800X is really what, if you're trying to not save money, but not break the bank, like... Not completely break the bank or go insane, you yeah. know? But like, that, even that's functionally the same as like a 9900K and a lot in like most games. I mean, the 9900K is obviously going to beat that a decent amount of the time, but... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what much else I have to say about this. I mean, I guess at this point, all I can say is that, as again, as much as I wish they would have charged maybe $600 for the 16-core and $1,000 for the 24-core Threadripper, I think we're lucky at $750. I mean, yeah, there is an argument that could be made that they could have probably charged like $900 for this, but I don't know. I mean, I think they could have. I think they could have charged 800 for this at least, and it wouldn't have mattered. I mean, I mean, this is <laughs> this is so ridiculous. I mean, I think they could have charged a thousand, honestly. Like, I don't know why they couldn't have charged a thousand dollars for this. Uh, it use it doesn't even require a lot of cooling. Like, it, this is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we're, you're charging a thousand dollars, now you're getting into like the 9900. I mean, uh, 9980XE, Dan. Yeah, sorry. 10980XE. <laughs> Get it right, Dan. It's the 10980XE. What is hard to understand about that name? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, but it beats that. So I guess arguably it does. So <laughs> no, it beats it and uses less energy. <laughs> I mean, this is just over at this point. People better really hope that Intel's got something good coming by the end of next year. Um, but anyways, let's move on. So speaking of another competitor, um, what do you think about this that a Nuvia, N-U-V-I-A, has just announced their existence? I love this. I see this only with like Silicon Valley startups where like they'll say, we actually have been here for a few years and we have $50 million, but we have... 
We now announce our existence. <laughs> well, they announced their it existence with their first like round of funding, which I think they got, what was it, like $53 million, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, clearly there's some people that are interested in what they're doing and what they were top engineers for Google, Apple, and what else was it? Is that right? It's built of CPU architects from other companies. And this is something that I've seen people say in the Discord that I think is such a good point. Something that I don't think people get. People go, well, how can there be a new GPU or CPU startup? It's not like they can hire Jim Keller or it's not like they can hire Raja Kadori. And it's like, you guys do understand that there's other architects and that they can leave AMD and Intel. Like they can leave and make a new company and they have all that knowledge they had that they were using at the other companies. It's not like uh, they are the two architects in <laughs> Silicon Valley. There's a lot of them and there's a lot of great ones. Or, or that when these people work for these companies that they're stuck there. Yeah, that's also true. I mean, I mean, I think that's the point I was making is it. Yeah, I know. I know that they can't just get Intel's engineers, except that they can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't think they're going to be killing AMD or Intel two years from now, but. I don't think that's what they're trying to do immediately. They're trying to develop a competitor to them. <laughs> I mean, I'll just give you guys this example. At work, one of the companies that, well, you know, our company works with all of them. Tesla, GM, Ford, I mean, uh, Caterpillar. Every company that uses an engine is the company I work for. It works with. And I have had multiple leads, you know, people that I talk to uh, to try to, you know, get contracts. Like there will be one year where one of them was working for GM or quite literally there was one that worked for Tesla. And then we had to make contact with someone that works at Rivian, a different electric car manufacturer that's starting up. And it was the same guy. <laughs> that we had just been working with at Tesla. And so it's like, well, how are you going to make a new electric car company? How are you going to make a new CPU company? Well, you're, the people will just make one that used to work at these other companies. And that's what they're doing. And this is going to be challenged, especially it was risk five coming. We're going to, it's not going to necessarily be Apple or Dell or HP making their own stuff. We're going to just have new companies making stuff here. Yeah. And if risk five is, becomes a new standard that's a huge deal because amd and intel are no longer the gatekeepers of processors essentially <laughs> like and this is something that i've said before and i have to keep saying dell and hp and all these other oems do not like that there's <laughs> just two people to source from right now business is good because they're forced to compete with each other but when there's 10 years where they can only buy from intel and so every they're forced to just build all of their products around one company, one entity that has a stranglehold on what they can buy from them. And then that company, Intel, has a bunch of security vulnerabilities and they just can't go anywhere. And then they just have to scramble and go to AMD and hope that the same thing doesn't happen to AMD in 10 years. They don't like that. It sounds like you're describing like something that actually happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't know. I, seeing new startups is always cool, especially when it's uh, a startup by a bunch of really smart guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's there's really not much to say about it except that, guys, 
everyone kept saying, what are we going to do about these duopolies? And from like the very first Broken Silicon, I'm like, guys, if the margins get high enough, there will just be startups. <laughs> and we're, now we're to it. And I'm su- kind of surprised that didn't happen before. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess I am too. But uh, who knows what forces drive these companies to start up? It's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on to story number three. Now, this one here, I had to add right when I saw it. In fact, I commented, actually, one of our friends, Dan, noticed that I commented on this. And that's the fact that there is a Oris RAM (laughs) kit. So let's be very clear what I'm talking about. It comes with four RAM sticks covered in RGB, really, really colorful RGB. And two of the four RAM sticks don't have RAM on them. <laughs> it's just there so you can make everyone think you have tons of colorful RAM in your system. So this is like really cool, right, then? <laughs> I mean, honestly, this pissed me off. I, I, I forgot what my tweet was. I had to tweet it out. It was something like, I can't decide if this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen or if this is just the logical conclusion of PC Master Race culture, which that's what it is, right? I don't know. And this is the second generation of this, apparently. Yeah, I didn't. uh, Is it? I didn't notice that. I I think they said this is the second time they've done it, at least in that WCCF tech article I read, which as a PC gamer, I felt insulted that these companies think, well, no, that I felt insulted and ashamed to be a PC gamer that this product exists. I don't really know what much to say, except, I mean, fuck it. Let's just cut to the chase. Let's do this. I mean, Gamers Nexus already made fun of how dumb cases are right now, right? Where he just had a cardboard box wrapped in Christmas lights with a big glass panel on the side. He said, there you go. There's no fans, but at least it has tempered glass and RGB. Can't cool anything, but you guys don't even seem to care about that anymore. And that's what's (laughs) going on with this. I mean, so let's just cut to the chase. Let's just take an RX 5300 when that comes out, put three gigantic fans on it, two eight pins. You know, it won't even be stronger than a PS4 Pro, but fuck it. Let's just do that. Sell it for $300 with tons of empty RAM sticks and a bunch of RGB. I guess if this is what people want. While we're at it, why don't we just uh, start making dummy uh, liquid cooling systems so you can have the cool tubes running <laughs> through it. <laughs> just Yeah, we'll make a dummy liquid cooler that's covered in RGB. I mean, imagine that, actually. If, it's, if you don't actually liquid cool anything, you just put a tiny fan above the processor with a micro heat sink. Like, you could theoretically fill the tubes with just, like, you know, some kind of LED light so it looks like there's moving <laughs> colors well, through the tubes. Yeah, and if you just, like, get some rubber tubing and shine an LED light through that, that'll that'll look a lot like a liquid cooler. Let's just do that. <laughs> yeah, because it's not about actual performance. It's about getting a seizure from an empty <laughs> box. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have much to say to this. I just can't believe this is a thing, except I can. (laughs) I mean, I thought it was really funny when you sent me this. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to story number four. So this one is about a Navi 23, and I think this is editorializing in the article on the part of WCCF Tech, calling it an NVIDIA killer uh, with hardware ray tracing rumored to launch next year. Um, To be honest, 
When I looked at this um, article, I didn't see much information. Am I wrong? Did you see anything really in here? Uh, um, no. The big thing that I saw that they're claiming is it's supposed to have uh, accelerated ray tracing, which has been rumored for that's been rumored forever, and we know that they're working on something with that because we know that the PS5 and I believe the Xbox, the Project Scarlet, I believe both of them have said they have ray tracing acceleration, right? Yeah, some kind of accelerated, not standard ray tracing method. Yeah, and we know that both of them are using AMD, so we know they're working on that, so it shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that ray tracing would be on uh, Big Navi, whatever that is. <laughs> but no, other th- yeah, there's no new information in this. It's just, uh, yeah, we have the uh, Navi 21, 22, and 23. No real claims on what those are, though. Yeah. And um, I'm going to be honest, guys. Isn't this like the fourth article where they just basically have a code name and then if you actually dig in, none of the stuff in the article is confirmed and it's all just a bunch of speculation? Which, yeah, I mean, that was kind of what I was thinking when I was reading this. Like, what what's in here? Aside from like some speculation, like it might be hard to cool this or something like that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like they're literally running out of stuff to talk about. So... You know, and I recently uh, pulled some of my Navi videos just because I was like, you know, I well, it was also because I think, you know, I kind of just go back every month and start pulling videos that I go, maybe I didn't put enough effort into this one. And like, maybe if you go back through my catalog, I only, you know, think uh, it would be worth your time because I certainly have enough videos you could watch. <laughs> so I, I, the way I think about it is, well, these are the ones from this month that should sit there forever. So that if you want to go through my 500 hours of content, this is what you'll watch. <laughs> and also just because the, I think the information I reported is outdated now. I think what I effectively reported was updated info that came out basically, right? So if a Dord's late 2018 Navi leak is like what we consider that first tier of Navi designs, I think mine was second or third. So from early 2019, mm-hmm. but I think that's outdated by now. I think I think it's just obvious that AMD has changed their plans multiple times, which is, again, people act like that some kind of bombshell. It's like, guys, I bet if we knew the full story of every iteration of their GPUs, there were like five things they were throwing at the wall internally before they decided on the final thing to launch. So that's not really a, a big, you know, surprise, or it shouldn't be controversial that I say I think AMD changed their plans. Well, but I don't want people watching an old video because my God, you guys, you are spamming my <laughs> comment section with when is Big Navi coming out. And so I know people are watching some of my older, even months old Big Navi videos and saying, so this is what's happening. And it's like, I just got to stop that at a certain point. And I guess what I'm getting to is I'm tired of talking about Big Navi. Yeah, I agree. At a certain point, it just gets to like what value is being added by talking about this there. Like, is this even going to be RDNA 1.0 at this point? Who Like, maybe this is the lineup we have. Right. What I was hoping is that they would get out another RD, a bigger RDNA 1.0. It's certainly something they could have done, but maybe they don't want to. Maybe they see no point in it. They already are competing in the high end with the 5700 XT. That's something the RX 480 was not able to do. The RX 480 was forced to stay mid-range, and they didn't launch shit. 
that fall, <laughs> right? And so now they're probably like, well, you know what? We're in the high end. Most people buy cards for $400 or less. Why do we even care anymore? Let's just focus on executing on Threadripper and all these things that will actually make us a ton of money. And let's just do a full launch of RDNA 2.0 probably late next year or something when we're <laughs> ready. That That's what I think is going on. And I, I'm going to be honest. I might stop adding Navi articles to broken silicon. Yeah, there's not that much new. I mean, if something big comes out, obviously you need to talk about it. But all of these stories about big Navi, there seems to be a new leak, uh, quote unquote, leak about big Navi every other week at this point. And we don't really know what it is. So I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, but again, I guess the major point I'm getting to here, everybody, is that, and I've said this multiple times, stop waiting for <laughs> big Navi. I said I, uh, I said a few months ago, I think there's going to be something by the end of the year, but I've said for several weeks now, I don't really think so anymore. I mean, time's up. Time is the time. By now, time is up. Well, it's almost I Thanksgiving. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and this is about, I, I, I actually, I can't remember if this is just me and you talking or if this was on the podcast, but. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think it was when we were talking about the Threadripper announcement, like, well, they need to mention it by like November 15th or there's no more time for them to actually announce it. I, I guess I don't know, too. Like, why would anyone be waiting for Big Navi? You know, do you have a card that's not cutting it right now? I mean, what games have even come out that are hard to run besides Red Dead Redemption 2, which nothing can run, apparently? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, which I guess I don't know what to say about that. So I guess maybe that's why you want it to run that game over Christmas break, but it's not coming out. And so either you have an old 580 and you're the type of person that would buy 5700 for 300 bucks, or you're not. And if you're not, then, you know, were you really waiting? You're probably just going to keep waiting. Like, I'm not going to get any... I'm not going to even entertain... Like, I have a Radeon 7. And before that, I had a Vega 64. And I almost didn't get the Radeon 7. So even if I still had a Radeon... Yeah, even if I still had a Radeon Vega 64, I would still probably not be entertaining anything until the full big uh -huh. Navi comes out. And I'll just wait for it because I'll wait for it. Yeah, and I mean, I have a Vega 56 and... I would argue that there's pretty much no card on the market that it's, for me at least, that it's worth upgrading to right now. For I mean, that's my specific case. And how you think about it, right? Everyone has different amounts that they think is good enough to upgrade. And I mean, well, at least for me and you, we don't like upgrading until, I mean, you went from a third, three, what is it? A 390 yeah. to Vega 56 and you're, and you got a launch Vega 56. So you got to flash it to a 64, right? Yeah. And I've chosen to be poor through my 20s, so. <laughs> yes. As a poor lab worker working to get a doctorate. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to number five, Hopper GPU. This one came in at the last minute before we started recording. <laughs> now, this is a new NVIDIA architecture code name. It seems like that's coming for whatever Ampere is. And again, I've heard that Ampere will not be called Ampere. So again, whether it's Ampere or what I like to call not Ampere, <laughs> it sounds like this is coming after that. And it might be a multi-GPU design similar to what Zen 2 is. I, I guess I don't know how that all that R&D works, but it kind of makes sense for NVIDIA to do this, right? Like they're, 
if they can develop it, they tend to have larger dyes. And we know that the size of their dyes is becoming an issue for production. So trying to quickly move on mm. to multi-chips makes sense, right? It, make, it makes a ton of sense. And I'm glad you for, framed it that way, how much sense it makes for them to do this. Because, man, when I looked at the comments section for this article, what I saw was, I think, mostly AMD fanboys just completely, di- I assume, right? Just <laughs> completely disregarding that this could be true, that NVIDIA might do this. Now, I will say this caveat. There are already multi-GPUs out there for the professional market. I believe NVIDIA's made triple and quadruple die GPUs on Kepler. I think it was Kepler that they did that with. And, um, and so that's out there. But for gaming, it might still prove to be hard. So just be, So what I will say is Hopper, right? Whatever not Ampere is, might end up being a gaming-focused, turbo-turning the next Pascal. A lot of people think it could be. And then Hopper could be like Volta, except they know in the professional market that it's not an issue to have multiple dies. And so this will be a turbocharged multi-dive Volta replacement. I will say that's an option. But AMD fanboys, I would not disregard the chance NVIDIA could get multi-GPU working as one logical GPU before AMD. They certainly have the R&D money. Yeah, and uh, like it's not like this type of R&D isn't a thing that only AMD is focusing on. Like this is probably an integral part to the future success of uh silicon manufacturing. AI, why wouldn't Nvidia be working on this as well? Yeah, and again, uh, what people would say is AMD's got Infinity Fabric out now. They're way ahead of everyone in multi-die interconnects so there's no way (laughs) nvidia gets it out before them i mean maybe maybe not nvidia's got a lot of smart people there and by the way cortex touched on this for a split second at one of his videos where he showed that they're already working on multi-die gpus and at hot chips i saw an nvidia presentation for i believe i think an ai compute where they showed a multi-chip design (laughs) so i would not assume they can't do this but I obviously, I wouldn't assume that this is going to work out. But just, I think it's very interesting. And my opinion on this article is, do not count out NVIDIA, guys. <laughs> I mean, if there's one thing you should never do is count out NVIDIA. Doesn't mean I like NVIDIA, but I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, but that doesn't mean that a lot of smart people aren't working there. A lot of smart people are working there. <laughs> Yeah, and smart people can solve problems. Maybe before AMD ends up doing it. And and as I've seen some other people pointed out, AMD has been working on this. AMD is working on a multi-die GPU design for gaming. They are, guys. But every indication we've had is that they're just not ready to do it. And that a lot of it might just be resources. And they just don't quite have the resources yet to really push through as hard as they have been able to at Zen. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess the way I would put it is necessity is the mother of invention, and maybe they need to move on to this style of GPU before AMD needs to move away from uh, monolithic dies. Well, and you know, I'm sure NVIDIA is looking at AMD right now, and they're scared shitless. I mean, they see a situation where Intel's graphics are about to enter the space, focusing on the laptop market. And then they see how badly AMD is 
just raffle stomping Intel in several markets now, seemingly out of nowhere. And you can bet Jensen and upper management at NVIDIA watched with bated breath as AMD continued to crush generation over generation with Zen and said, hey, we're not letting them fucking do that to us, <laughs> right? Like as if Ryzen 1 and 2 were a, was a two-year-long warning shot to NVIDIA, like we're, we're also coming we, for the GPU yeah. space. <laughs> Anyways, though, we have a reader mail question here, and it comes from Chicago Fire. What are your thoughts on FPGAs, including but not limited to their uses and what you see in the future? I'm an electrical engineering student, and I do a lot of work programming FG, FPGAs and working on computer architecture. So I'd be curious to know what you think. I mean, I think these are going to be used more and more and more in addition to ASICs. The future is going to be specialized. Specialized acceleration. together. Yeah. Yeah, grouped together to do solve one end goal, right? I really think that that's what we're going towards. And whether it is a dedicated ASIC or probably more likely more and more often FPGA, so they have some ability to be reprogrammed for a couple of tasks. I mean, your question was just, what do you see in the future? And I just see way more widespread use of dedicated computing devices linked together over fabrics. I'm guess I would say I'm kind of speaking out of my ass because I'm not a programmer. I don't know that much about FPGAs, but yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, we're already seeing the early implementations, if imperfect, uh, executions of dedicated acceleration for ray tracing and whatnot. So I think I see that that's definitely a possible future is just a bunch of daisy-chained specialized devices. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, let's move on to the next one. Why don't we? Um, I want to talk just a second. I think we have to, right? About the Neon Noir benchmark. So this, so number six, the Neon Noir benchmark, you can download it and use it. And I did. And um, to be honest, I don't got that much to say. I, it looks pretty cool, but it's certainly not the best looking benchmark I've seen. Um, I mean, I don't have too much to say about it either. Uh, the most I can say is I was just looking at performance and NVIDIA cards, including the 10, uh, 1000 series, they generally perform better than AMD cards for about the same price with uh, ray tracing on. Yeah, and that surprised me. Didn't that surprise you? I thought the entire point of that benchmark was, or you would think would be to leverage compute or something, but I don't know, right? This is where it gets a little too technical for me, like how they're doing ray tracing. Um, on these cards, but it's very clear that Vega has no edge. I mean, Vega was yeah. underperforming RDNA. I mean, I think my Radeon 7, and it has like a 5% overclock or something, like maybe 5 to 10%, and it was underperforming a stock 5700 XT. <laughs> and I believe the 1080 Ti was above that, which... Yeah, you know, the 1080 the 5700 was. XT regularly beats the 1080 Ti in a lot of the latest games, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how this was ran, but yeah, I, I mean, I guess I would say I was a little surprised by this, but maybe for some reason, NVIDIA's process is better at running ray tracing, regardless of if it's using their RTX ray tracing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, RTX is just the DX11, DX12 method. You mean yeah. using uh, NVIDIA's hardware acceleration. Yeah, method. sorry. I, I got my words scrambled a little bit there. Yes. <laughs> And feel free to tell us what you think about that and read or mail corrections and omissions, <laughs> even though I just saved you guys from having to do that by correcting Dan right here. <laughs> just do it again. Why not for fun? Why not just tell us we're stupid for fun? 
but yeah, so I guess I don't have much to add to that except that. I mean, if you were looking for some smoking gun for the uh, th- the point I made before that it's plausible Vega may be better at ray tracing in the future. This is not a feather in my cap. <laughs> this <laughs> certainly means that my the future I posited may not come true. And I guess yeah. we'll just have to see. The one thing I will say about this demo, though, is it doesn't get bogged down. It ran at like 80 frames per second on my <laughs> Radeon 7. And so I think what you're looking at here, it'll be more impressive with next-gen consoles, but I think this is what we're going to see. This ridiculous thing NVIDIA is doing right now to bog down performance of their competitors, where you like look at control and the blood on the ground looks like a mirror, which is not what blood looks like, <laughs> guys. Blood is not a mirror. Um, where And then all cars just turn into shiny mirrors. Like that's I think what's going to happen with next-gen consoles are is they will just pick specific things to ray trace and they'll look really, really good. Yeah, like a big thing I've seen, which I think that probably would be the best implementation. Obviously, like mirrors, but uh, then like yeah. eyeballs, stuff like that. <laughs> we'll finally live in a video gaming world where all bathrooms don't have mirrors just smudged with gray. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> which was always the fu- a really funny workaround to me. Like, well, every mirror is really, really dirty. <laughs> yep. Like you would go into like a five-star hotel and they would just make the mirror dirty. But yeah, like I I remember Max Payne 3 didn't do that. And I was impressed even though like the render was probably a quarter quality. But (laughs) yeah, they they were clearly only rendering half of the objects in the room and they were doing them at a lower resolution. Yeah, but I like that. I like that they gave it a try. (laughs) All right, let's take a break. Yeah. I actually went into mechanical engineering to become a gun designer, but I found out upon leaving college that most of the design houses are in the Deep South. I don't really feel like living in rural Florida. However, that meant I had to go to Detroit. And in Detroit, I work for one of the major three automotive manufacturers. There, I learned I had to finally start drinking coffee. And you know what? I shit you not. When I first started making coffee, I just used a mixture of instant coffee in a water heater combined with hot chocolate. 50-50. I didn't need a lot of caffeine back then, and I thought, you know, the hot chocolate makes it good enough. Well, over time, I realized I didn't feel like being fat anymore, so I started to work out, and I started to watch my Eating. I went into this thing called a feeding window where I only can eat for eight hours a day. And you know what's a great hunger suppressant? Coffee. But it has calories if you put sugar or milk in it. So I had to start drinking coffee that wasn't 50-50 instant coffee and hot chocolate. I mean, what was I, five years old? So I started to appreciate the better taste, even if I'm not a coffee person. And one place you can go now to get an excellent coffee taste is Rogue Coffee Roasters. These guys are a small startup based in Milwaukee in the heartland of America that just make good 
coffee. They have a proprietary infusing process that roasts beans with unique flavors that don't taste artificial. I personally like Basic Bitch because it tastes like a pumpkin latte without the 380 bullshit calories you get at Starbucks. And you know what? They've got other things, too. They've got Bordeaux-infused coffee beans. They've got Magarabi. I don't know if I said that right, but it's coffee infused with mint, and it tastes delicious. And you know what? The holidays are almost here. So reward someone with a gift, the gift of good coffee and the gift of not having to eat in the morning. And you know what? Right now, there is a deal where if you spend over $59, you get free shipping. And that's at RogueCoffeeRoastersMKE.com. And in fact, if you use the code BROKENSILICON, the B is capitalized, BROKENSILICON, you will get 10% off your order. Go to RogueCoffeeRoastersMKE, use offer code BROKENSILICON, and get the gift of good coffee. All right. Back to the show. And we are back. And now what you might notice for the second half of the podcast is I'm going to be significantly less aggro. Look, guys, (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. I was angry the first half, and I don't know why. (laughs) What do you think, Dan? I think we're all angry right now, so. Uh, I don't know. I, I To be honest, everyone listening right now, like, I've just been really tired uh, from both work and, you know, all the stuff. You know, you guys really do, a lot of you are supporting us. The support has been immense. And so I've seen a lot of people say, Tom, get some sleep. But it's like, honestly, I don't know how. Like, there's so many people supporting us that I I can't let you guys down. I have to make sure you get your content. I got to keep slinging that tent at you guys. Sling that tent. (laughs) Sling that tent, motherfucker. Every week, I got to make sure we get at least a podcast out a week to you guys. And... uh, yeah, so just, if whoever's listening, uh, which I I don't know, I think I think at this point half of the viewers are probably still listening, based on what I can tell on YouTube. Uh, I did two big videos today to come out over Thanksgiving break, so I, I am just tired, and I have poured a couple glasses of wine since the break. I was hopped up on Snickers sugar, completely sober. I can be a little, I can be a little. Dan, can I be intense when I'm sober? Sometimes. <laughs> I think my friends, my best friends said I was an edgelord <laughs> in high school. <laughs> <laughs> you just pour me a glass of wine, though, and I become bubbly. So we're going to uh, try to wind down here with the second half, everybody. All right. So story number seven. Uh, so to profess this story, I think a lot of people, including me, were disappointed that the last-gen Threadrippers won't work in the new motherboards and vice versa, that the new Threadrippers will not work in the old ones. Um, I certainly was heavily considering doing something like getting a $150 1900X 8-core and then just waiting for a Zen 3 Threadripper and upgrading next year. The fact that that's not an option means I will not be getting Threadripper. That, that's a downer for me. And I know there's a lot of people that bought these $400 motherboards, and they're really hoping to upgrade it, um, to upgrade to Threadripper 3000. But I guess you can't. However, number seven, this story is talking about how one of the reasons, according to AMD, now time will tell if they're full of shit or not, right? But 
According to AMD, they're doing this now so that they can be ready for longevity. And I think what this suggests, honestly, from reading the interview, is that AMD might even support Zen 4 on the same Threadripper socket. Yeah, so I, I guess I'll say that right now, AMD tends to support their um, offer support for their platforms for a lot longer than uh, Intel tends to. So yeah, I would agree that it's a bit disappointing. But if we can be on this platform for three or four years, I mean, maybe this is the best outcome f- for the future. I, I guess I don't know why. Uh, I don't know what limitations there are to not allowing uh, backwards compatibility, but. Well, I think this is some good news. I think if you think about it inherently, though, Zen 2 sets the stage for a chiplet based architecture, a fully chiplet based architecture. And so moving to, you know, they they had these awkward island dies on the previous gen CPUs in conjunction with Zen 1, which just had two dies. Perhaps the way they're setting this up is in preparation for the next generations. I absolutely assume Zen 3 will work with these motherboards. And I I don't think it's out of the question that Zen 4 might as well. At least I certainly hope so, right? Yeah, I mean, and what, Zen 4 would probably be like three years down the road from now, I guess? Three, maybe four? No, Zen 4 is going to be 2021. Oh, okay, never mind. Well, I, I would say I would assume that Zen 4 will work on this, but given that they only supported the previous platform for two generations. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, well, I guess 2021, 2022, let me correct myself there. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if Zen 4 came out in 2022, I guess at this point. Like, there's nothing that says that has to come out then, but that's kind of what, I mean, that's what the roadmap certainly suggests at this point. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they did. Now, when Threadripper Zen 4 comes out, that might be 2022, though. You know, yeah, and I guess I was saying uh, operating under the assumption that they might do like a Zen three plus type thing because I think you've said that Zen two plus probably isn't the thing. Uh, there's literally no indication that Zen two plus exists. No one has ever said mm-hmm. it exists, and Zen three is coming <laughs> at the end of next year. So I think a Zen two plus would make almost no sense. Yeah. So and I, I, I mean, just mean from like a like a logic point of view, like yeah. it wouldn't make sense. I, I'm not saying it won't come, but seven nanometer UV is yielding not as well as seven nanometer non EUV at TSMC, but it's yielding like 10% worse. Like at that point, I think I've heard people say maybe they'll just port Zen 2 to, you know, seven nanometer EUV and call it Zen 2 Plus. Maybe, you know, I'm not a hardware engineer working at AMD. I don't know all the pros and cons of why they would do that. But what I do know is this, or at least is my opinion. If Zen 3 is coming out at the end of the year and 7 nanometer EUV hits the same yields as 7 nanometer non-EUV, why would you not just switch to Zen 3? Like, why would you spend the money porting it, which even if it's built to be easily compatible, that just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, yeah, the only thing that would make them do that is if they can't, if it's not ready to be put out yet, I guess, but... Yeah, or there's some capacity decision where they want to be making it on both nodes at the same time, I guess. But I, I just, um, I don't know. I, I, I just don't think Zen 2 Plus is going to be a thing. And I think, again, I think Zen 2 refreshes might come 
early next year, but I, I, I'm not even sure about that anymore. I just don't see why AMD would need that. Yeah. I, I so, I mean, I guess I, I'm just trying to establish like a timeline. So with back to TRX, uh, for this is probably going to work for at least like three or four years though. I would say it's going to work for two years with new products. Unless AMD's full ship, but we'll have to see. But it certainly <laughs> seemed legitimate that, guys, hey, look, this is going to work with Zen 3, and there's a big hint it's going to work with Zen 4. Mm-hmm. And I hate to be this guy. It's not like I'm giving this a double standard. Is anyone disappointed in the use they got out of their, you know, Zen Plus or Zen 1 Red Rippers? It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that these motherboard chipsets only work for two generations. I mean, Intel, that's par for the course. And there's some flexibility with older AMD designs, I guess. But well, what I would say is if you got a Zen 1 Threadripper and you're disappointed you can't go to Zen 2, the AMD plans to drop prices over time of their Zen Plus products and slot that in in between uh, AM4 and Zen 2 Threadripper. So Mm You can upgrade to the 32-core Zen Plus. Is that really... Are you really going to complain that you had a 16-core <laughs> now you can only go to 32? I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's fair. It is disappointing, but it's fair. And as long as they go at least to, over the next two years on the next socket, it's... Again, this is the thing where it's tricky, where I have to try to not be an AMD fanboy but also, I think it's obvious I'm not being one. I mean, it's not a double standard to say that, do I wish AMD would have been more aggressive with pricing, release dates, support? Yes. Are they better than anyone else? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like an example I would give yeah. is, do I wish the, the again, do I wish Threadripper 3000 was $1,000 for the 24 core? Yes. Do I think it makes a real difference to the people that want to buy it? No. And is it less than half the price of the Intel 32 core it's going to destroy? Yes. So, like, what are we complaining about? And the 32 core is also $1,000 cheaper than Intel's 28 core. (laughs) I mean, I guess it's we're complaining about not getting a better deal, but... A better deal than something that never existed. Exactly. All right. Well, I think it's time to move on. Number eight. New Leak suggests that the 4, 000, Ryzen 4000 APUs could be up to 15 compute units and 960 stream processors. It looks like it's pretty comparable then, or probably a bit weaker than like what the 460, like you said. I mean, I looked at comparisons and... Well, it'll beat the 460, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, RX4. Yeah, I, it's... It looks like a very good uh, CPU, and if they can get this at like 25 or 30 watts, that would be amazing. Yeah, and laptops, and then even just like 95, 105 watts on desktop. I mean, so 900, so let's let's break this down then, what we were just talking about. So 960 compute units, the 460 at 896. If you compare this with like 4,000 megahertz RAM, which I do believe will not be that expensive anymore late next year. I, yeah, I really think we're getting to about 460 performance. Probably not quite 560, but we're looking at PS4 base performance in something that's probably, well, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. 
right? Because this supposedly will be eight cores, 16 threads, 15 compute units. So I could see a situation where they have a $300 APU then, right? If it has eight cores. I mean, if it comes out next year. Early next year. Oh, early next year. So yeah, $300, I guess. The 3700X is $330 right now. Yeah. What, I mean, that would be a pretty high price for what their APUs tend to be, I think. But I mean, this is a it's a good product if it's <laughs> yeah. available to consumers, uh, not out, uh, outside of OEMs. Yeah, you're getting a lower clocked eight core 16 thread and then an RX, an almost RX 560 in one package. And then, of course, there will be the six core variant that they'll probably put with, I believe, 12 compute units, if I'm guessing correctly. And that'll be just below a 460. And that'll probably be like, I don't know, right? 250, maybe. And then, well, I don't know. It's hard to say. Because the fact that this is going up to eight cores makes this really interesting to kind of guess what they're going to price it at. Yeah, I know. I, because this, this is this based off of Zen 2 then too, correct? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I really don't know what they would price it at. But if it's eight cores, yeah, I would have to think that something like that would be a, at least $300 like price range, like plus or minus $50. So yeah, I guess we'll see. Uh, even if it's a weaker six or a weaker eight cores, the fact that it comes with a GPU this decent should place it around the same price as, you know, like a 3600X or 3700X, whatever its non-APU counterpart is. But by then, who knows? Yeah. Maybe there will be price drops too. So I guess <laughs> we'll just have to see. And it honestly wouldn't surprise me if they did like if they actually just use the full yields of the 8-core 15CU unit for laptops and then they just disabled it to like 6 cores, 12 compute units for desktop. And they just never even brought mm -hmm. that to desktop at first. And then they brought <laughs> out the 8-core. Well, no, it's called Ryzen 4000. So I don't know. I guess I don't know. But this is this is very exciting, I think. And this is going to pretty much bump it all the way up you know, to where here we are again, AMD slowly moves up the bar. This is when like $120 graphics cards don't make sense anymore. Yeah, I mean, I guess APUs are kind of getting to the point where the low end is almost being eliminated for discrete graphics cards. But yeah, and I don't remember what I did for the begin, like the beginning of 2019. I did that, you know, like how strong will APUs get over the next five years? I don't remember what I exactly said we would be at in tw late 2020, but I think we said, you know, probably about to a PS4 Pro. So this is the beginning of 2020. This is a base PS4, at least better than that. So it's very interesting to watch that, right? Yeah, and I, I don't think that kind of conjecture, I don't think that's at all unrealistic. Like <laughs> the, these technologies are developing pretty fast. So yeah, well, let's move on to number nine. All right, so number nine is... <laughs> all right, so a leak came out of... What was this, Dan? Help me here. Was this a patent by Sony? Uh, yeah, it was a patent by Sony. About some kind of cartridge system, right? Yeah. So Let's Go Digital did this big thing where they were saying... And I saw a lot of... Um, articles kind of reporting on this, like, this is how Sony will keep the PS5 cheap by using cartridges, proprietary cartridges for storage. That's not how cartridges work. But <laughs> Yeah, I think this is actually a misunderstanding. 
So, so everyone understands this is basically a patent. Well, you describe it, Dan. I think you read this. What, what would you describe this patent as? It's a patent for some type of cartridge system related to gaming. I think, broadly speaking, that's what it is. It's, <laughs> it, it's really hard to say because, um, I mean, it, it was filed by the, like, the guy at Sony that files patents for like PlayStation products. So we know this is somewhat related to PlayStation mm-hmm. in some way. But it's hard to say exactly what it is. I think they called it like a, a gaming cartridge, and that's what it's defined as. So we don't really know what this is. Yeah, and I think... Oh, so from what I've seen in the reporting, all articles have either talked about it in, in two ways. The first way is, oh, this is a way they will keep prices down. They'll make you buy proprietary storage. And then the other way it's talked about is, are they going to use cartridges for games? And I got an answer. No, no. <laughs> um, the greater discussion when me and Dan saw this we want to have is what it would take for this to be worth it in a gaming PC or console, right? What it would take if this is like some proprietary storage device, what it would take for me to be like, what it would take for me to be impressed by what they're doing if this is indeed what the PS5 is going to be. And to be clear, I think this is one of those patents that means nothing, right? I don't think this means they're going to do anything with it. However, I think there's like a 10% chance that what this patent signals is that they may have a proprietary removable hard drive that's proprietary for two reasons. Yes, to control you paying for upgrades and storage, but also because it uses its own system of being a lot faster than any other, you know, widely available storage system, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, and the latter, the latter option is the option where I would be impressed if this is what they were doing. <laughs> so let's be clear about what we're talking about here. What I'm saying is the only way, in my opinion, this could make sense is if Sony wasn't lying or fucking around when they said, the next-gen console will use storage faster than anything available on PC. What if there's a chance that they literally mean that? That they literally mean we have our own method of storage? Like, what if it's some kind of 9 gigabyte per second, you know, next-gen storage solid-state drive with a small amount of, like, DDR4 for cache built in there and then a microcontroller to control the data and that they're going to have 100 gigabytes of it reserved for as kind of a RAM disk and that this is how they both profit and have a performance advantage is they plan to have literally the fastest storage and it is proprietary. Again, some kind of ultra-fast SSD, RAM as cache, like, you know, proprietary hybrid RAM disk situation where the console comes with one terabyte, and if you want to upgrade, it's like $100 for two terabytes or something. And furthermore, what they do is they make it so you can use multiple cartridges in the same system. What do I mean? So if you buy a disc, which guys, the games are going to come on discs and digital still. They're not selling games on cartridges. Let's say, so Horizon 2 is a launch game. Let's say Horizon 2 comes on a 100 gigabyte Blu-ray disc. You insert it into your PS5 and it installs it on the cartridge. 
What if the cartridges are removable and they just let you write down on each cartridge which games are installed so you can switch between those in addition to the disc and it's way faster than anything available? What I'm saying is that's the only way this would make any sense and not be a horrible decision. (laughs) Which, yeah, I think Sony would have learned that they shouldn't do a proprietary uh, storage design because they were universally panned when they did that with the Vita, and the Vita failed catastrophically. Um, I mean, the only time I can really think of Mm -hmm. an expensive proprietary storage device working was with uh, the Xbox 360, which... The Xbox 360 in general is a confusing console to me because it seemed like everybody that bought it wanted to be whipped. I I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you want to buy you want to buy the Wi-Fi card after the console comes out, the hard drive after the console comes out. You want to have to buy AA batteries. That's what you mean, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> that was a shorthand for me. <laughs> but maybe that's what Sony's thinking, you know. But if there's some kind of performance benefit, this will make sense. But I just don't think this will work anymore. I think that worked for the 360 because at least at launch, you didn't need to buy those things, right? It wasn't a problem yet. And furthermore, this was the first, um, this was, these were the first consoles that like actually had a complex OS and really needed a lot of storage. And by a lot, I'm talking on their scale, I think. What <laughs> Gigabytes. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I ended my, by the end of the PS3 generation, I had like a, what, 512 gigabyte hard drive or something like that. But <laughs> they came with like less than 100 gigabytes, generally speaking. Yeah, and so, and there was that weird one at the end too, the 16 gigabyte PS3, you remember that? Yeah, which when I saw that, I was my immediate thought is, why would anyone buy that? But I guess some people bought it. So. Yeah, they didn't even have like a normal disk drive. Like they had a manually opened top. Remember that? I believe it was like the I most dirt it. cheap, like janky, like we can't make this cheaper. The popular name for that was the George Foreman PS3. Oh, yeah. Actually, I have a question. Have you ever met or seen a person who used that version of the PS3? No. I, I don't think I've ever seen that in someone's house. No, I haven't. I, I, I was just saying, I think almost everyone that got it, got it the slim version. But. Yeah, and not the super slim, as that version was called. Or the George Foreman. The George Foreman <laughs> version of the PS3. Yeah, so I mean, I think we were a little all over the place in talking about this. But like, I guess what I'm saying is, again, there's this patent for a cartridge. It's not <laughs> going to be because games are coming on cartridges at Best Buy, guys. You know, I don't think this is just to control prices. Unless Sony wants to sabotage themselves like they did with the Vita, which, hey, I guess there's a chance of that at all times. Well, and I think you can see this in their design philosophy, though. So PS3 had a standard hard drive that you could insert and swap out. Uh, Vita, they had a proprietary storage device. They realized, shit, don't have proprietary storage. And then PS4... They had a uh, upgradable standard hard drive, a, a standard upgradable hard drive slot. Again, so my best guess is this is literally nothing. Like, yeah, that that's my be best my guess. guess too. But if it is real, I think the only way it makes sense, again, is if this literally is something so fast it needs to be proprietary, and they'll let you install multiple games and swap cartridges. So you don't need to re-download games if you don't want to. I think that's the only way this makes sense. If Sony's pulling a PlayStation Vita again, <laughs> and, and the reason I bring this up here is because this is, again, a computer hardware and gaming podcast. 
This is interesting computer hardware, guys. Like, if Sony manages to get something out there that's a proprietary storage device, literally like twice as fast effectively as a, you know, like a PCIe 4.0 NVMe drive, if they get something out twice as fast as that, they could literally render games in different ways than what we're used to. Yeah, which, I I mean, I think... Uh, Project Scarlet and PS5, both of those projects, they're very much emphasizing at least eliminating loading times. Like, that's a big thing. So it, it seems like they might be working towards some proprietary technology or they're just going to be using the best of the best, like, MVME drives that we have available to us right now. Which I think is the most likely situation. But I don't know. I think it's fun to entertain yeah. these other scenarios. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Number 10, and this is the last story, but I had to add it. This is a PC gaming podcast too. Dan, I named this new Age (laughs) of Fucking Empires. Age of Empires 4, Dan. So I guess I don't know what the audience, how much the audience cares about this, but you and I are super excited about it. (laughs) I mean, I, my first PC game I played a lot was Age of Empires 2. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty true. Like, oh, no, wait, I played it, Rayman before that, I think. Yeah, it would have been before that. Which really Probably. wasn't a PC-centric game. <laughs> Actually, I got the Rayman game that had a Rayman level creator, too. So I like making my own levels. That was really fun. <laughs> uh, so I guess there were a few PC games we played before that. But I remember Age of Empires 2 being the first one where it was like, wow. And we just played that for hundreds of hours. Yeah, and I loved Age of Empires 3. Yeah, we played three more than two, I think, overall. Yeah, I, I, I'm really excited for this. <laughs> yeah, so me and Dan are, we don't play that many RTS games. I've played other ones for sure. But it's basically been, and, and this is just me, right? There are some people that play Call of Duty, and then that's their shooter. And it's fine. I, I don't think yeah. you should look down on someone for finding the game they just want to play. I don't play nearly as many RTSs as I play, you know, third and first person shooters and open world games. But I've always played Age of Empires. That's always been my RTS. I got pretty good at it in college, finally, actually, when I finally went online and got to like a decent level and started having real strategies. My best team was the Dutch. Um, I was also really good with, I'm trying to remember, I think I was really good with the Aztecs eventually too. (laughs) Like I crushed with the Aztec bum fuck rush, like literally getting into their town in five minutes. And man, we still play Age of Empires 3 to this day. And it was so disheartening when I saw Age of Empires online. You remember that? And that was like five years ago. Yeah, the I don't even know what the hell that game was. It, it that piece of shit. I guess I'll just call it a piece of shit. <laughs> like they like Microsoft decided to kill their franchise. Yeah, and I, when I saw Age of Empires online, what I thought to myself is, well, I guess I'm just going to be playing Age of Empires three forever, <laughs> which we have been. I think that game yeah, like, came out in 2006, didn't it? Let me look that up. Actually, it. Sounds close to right. And then they released several expansion packs over the years. And the online's still there. You bought the original version, which we've had to rebuy it several times. Why, Dan? Because we got it on disc, and then it was on the Windows Store. And then the Windows Store, Dan, it's a Microsoft-published game, and the Windows Store stopped selling Age of Empires. And now it's only on Steam. We've had to buy that game like um, three times. 
But your online yeah. name, your online account carries over between licenses. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's just uh, when you figure out you need to buy a new copy of Age of Empires three, you just wait for a sale when you can get it for like fifteen bucks and call it good. I guess, and that's just what we've been forced to do. And I feel like an idiot for telling you guys that, but this is our RTS. This is the game we like. And seeing Age of Empires four is it's just so exciting, and it's it's during the medieval era. I remember Age of Empires Online, they tried to do the Roman era, and that pissed me off, too. Everything about that game was a disaster. I, I remember the overall gameplay was pretty much the same, but it was, it was a continuously online, nickel-and-dime microtransaction nightmare. And there are several games that have been killed by that, like just insisting on going to that <clears throat> Fallout 76. Now, I, I don't know why games Sorry, I had a keep cough trying there. that out. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I, I should have said, God bless you after that. But <laughs> yeah, sorry. <clears throat> Fallout 76. But I don't know why games keep trying to move to that model, but I think eventually the industry will learn not everyone wants your these fucking continuously online bullshit games. Like, Well, I think that's where we're at now. Yeah, th- some of them can exist, but <laughs> that's not all we want. Well, me and Dan are super excited. There's really not much to say about it, except it is interesting. Apparently, it's going to be on Xbox, and it'll have PC, uh, mouse, and keyboard support on the Xbox. Oh, well, I didn't read that. That's actually interesting. I'm just bringing this up again, guys. If Intel, uh, Intel, if Microsoft really wanted to take it to Sony, they would put a full Windows on the next Xbox that has a SteamOS-like mode. This is how you win. I mean, yeah, and they really haven't spoken that. Well, they've spoken a little bit about what the new Xbox is, but we don't know that much about it yet, so. If it doesn't have this, I think Sony walks away easy unless they do something catastrophically stupid, which they've done before, so we'll see. But if Microsoft actually put a SteamOS version of Windows that could also boot full Windows when you wanted it to, and it just used their proprietary RDNA 2.0 GPU. You could use it for rendering and all this other stuff. Oh my God. Like that is how you make Xbox really take off. I I mean, yeah, I, I agree. And I feel like Microsoft, at least with the Xbox One generation, has been slowly moving towards like a... uh secretly trying to get rid of the hardware aspect of Xbox. The proprietary (laughs) Xbox hardware. Yeah. Yeah, and um, that was the original goal all along, too. I mean, Bill Gates said the point of the original Xbox was as a Trojan horse to get a console in your... to get a Microsoft device in your living room. Well, you guys seem to have forgotten that. Actually, I remember that too, because that was one thing I think Phil Spencer or someone talked about. Uh, Don't quote me guys on this. I think it was someone who they were like, this was a triumphant winning of the engineers where they actually wanted to have it run full Windows from the start that they won by saying, no, it has to be a good gaming device. No, I think you guys fucking lost. I think Bill Gates was right. (laughs) I think this should have run full Windows the whole time. It should have been a cheaper price performance option to a PC gaming device. And the fact that it hasn't has been Microsoft competing with itself for ten years, for fifteen years, for no reason. We're twenty years now, twenty almost twenty years, uh, almost like eighteen years. I don't yeah. remember the exact date that the Xbox launched, but almost twenty. Yeah. Like needlessly competing with themselves. Yeah, <laughs> which I think they're finally learning that. Well, 
Let us move on. Well, that is all of the stories, folks. And we have a few reader mail questions to get through before we close out tonight. What do you think, Dan? Fuck them. Let's do it. <laughs> I was expecting you just go fuck them. <laughs> all right. I guess that's it. No. All right. The first one comes from, oh my God, here we go again. Mahalman. And he asks, will Star Citizen ever have a retail release? Should there be a deadline release date for backers to be able to recover a portion of their contributions? Well, let's go one by one. Dan, will Star Citizen ever have a retail release? I want to start with the second question okay. first because I think it should be, I think this is an easier question to answer. And it's yes. I don't know how Kickstarter hasn't had a bunch of fucking lawsuits at this point because it's just Kickstarter might change your website to vaporware.com because that's what Kickstarter is. I've never given money to a Kickstarter. And I never fucking will because that's what Kickstarter is. All right. Dan's very militant about this opinion. And, you know, I've never given to Kickstarter either. I think it's a complete joke, too. The joke I think of is those pocket PC gaming devices that keep getting delayed every year. And it's just every year. Here's a new $1,000 pocket gaming device. By the time it comes out, all of its hardware is obsolete. Or have you seen this? This is the most insane Kickstarter situation. Well, actually, I think Star Citizen is. But the second most is the coolest cooler. It was a $200 cooler with like a... It had like a blender. A so you mean like a refrigerator cooler? Like how big was yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like the size of a normal cooler. I, what's a normal cooler? My refrigerator is huge. Uh, I don't know. Probably... Like a mini like, fridge, smaller than a mini fridge. Well, I mean a cooler as in a thing that you bring to the beach with ice in it to keep beer in. Uh, so like the size of a large but, cooler. Yeah, like one of those coolers. Yeah. Okay, one that you can carry kind of like a picnic basket in size. Yeah, so it got $13 million of funding. And <laughs> this situation arose where the backers at Kickstarter were getting their coolers delayed due to distribution issues. But if you bought it on Amazon after the funding goal was reached, you would have already gotten it. <laughs> you know, and I know there's a lot of people listening that are going to say, hey, that's not Star Citizen. They have a hangar I can go in. Well, no, I did read a little bit about the development of Star Citizen. And it's, I don't know what the initial intent of the game developer was. It seems to me like what happened is he decided he wanted to crowdfund a game because he wanted to make a sequel to a game he had worked on or a spiritual successor to a game that he had worked on. And then he got way more money than he thought he ever would. And he realized, oh, I actually have to make the most expensive game ever made now because it's gotten $250 million in backing. I was going to say, I'm looking at it. It's over $250 million. I believe Death Stranding has like $50 million. My God. So is this going to be five Death Strandings? Exactly. So I understand, like, even if the initial intent is, I just want to make this cool multiplayer game, and then ran into development issues, and then he also got an insane amount of funding. Like, that I, I, that must be the most pressure you can face as a person, realizing you have to execute with $250 million your vision. Yeah, and that's something they touch on in the show Silicon Valley, that sometimes you want to put a cap on funding so that you only reach your goals. Because if you get $180 million valuation, people expect a $180 million product. And if that wasn't your plan from the start, 
you're going to do nothing but let people down and then they will pull funding and then you'll go out of business. Yeah, I don't know. And that's the thing with Kickstarter is you can't pull your funding in. You've just given your money to a person that isn't going to do shit with it because Kickstarter has no customer satisfaction guarantee. It's just, oh, you gave your money to a bad product and they were essentially just stealing your money, which I'm, to be clear, I don't think this is what it started out as, but I feel like that's what Star Citizen has become where they essentially stole $250 million worth of funding. I mean, I think it's easy to compare this to, uh, what is it, uh, ICO altcoins? Yeah. Cryptocurrencies? Like, think of Kickstarters the same way. You might as well be funding, I don't know, Zencoin. I think that was one. Or is it Zencash? Whatever. Zencash. Well, that was that was like just an outright scam. But <laughs> I mean, what's the difference? This is something I've heard someone I follow on YouTube about cryptocurrencies. What does it matter? What's the difference between an outright scam and a failed goal if what the end result is this? I gave you money. I didn't get what I wanted. Is there a difference? Not to you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, but yeah, and to your question is, will Star Citizen ever have a retail release? I mean, like, so I was reading about the development timeline and they started working on it in 2011. They've released Jesus three. Christ. They've released three alpha. I'm sorry, this game isn't out yet. At three alpha games that aren't real games. Uh, and when they started developing it in 2011, it was on CryEngine 3. And then in 2016, they switched to a new engine. Oh, my God. So, I don't, and, I don't know. know. Uh, and to be honest, guys, me and Dan haven't followed this closely because we don't take it seriously, if you can't tell. But I believe now there's several planets you can land on or something someone told me. I mean, I'm, I'm just being honest. I, I think someone told um, me that. I think there, so there's the hangar module, there's like the flight module, so you can fly around. And then I think they released like a small single player ga uh, game. So at least they're, which is, I, I feel like the guy that started this, he feels guilty that this game isn't out. So he's like, have a single player game. <laughs> so was this $250 million, guys? Was this a Red Dead Redemption? Because that's the budget you've given him. Uh, I think you've given him more than the budget of Red Dead Redemption, but <laughs> probably. So that's what you guys got to ask yourselves. Will it have a release? I don't know. I honestly don't know, but I think I've said this. I think Colin Moriarty on Sacred Symbol says that too. When's that game coming out? Fucking never. Yeah. This I, is the I, longest I, running gaming Ponzi scheme I've ever seen. And it might not be literally intended to be a Ponzi scheme, but guys, it's a Ponzi scheme. What's the difference? Everyone telling everyone fun star citizen and it'll get done. It's been eight years. It will come It the final retail release will miss a console generation. The PS3 was the console when this started and it's going to be the PS5 when it comes out. No matter well, yeah. what happens, this was not worth your money. And you could have just bought it on Steam at the end, by the way. And I guess that's what I'll say is the uh, other thing. If you ever consider uh, funding a Kickstarter, look out and see if it has flexible funding. Because flexible funding essentially means they're, like, let's say you want to make $10,000 to fund some Kickstarter. Flexible funding means, well, I'll also take $20,000 and I'll also take $5,000 if not enough people support me. So flexible funding essentially means I'm stealing your money. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I, I don't know. If you guys can't tell, I, uh, we don't think highly of the Star Citizen team. Like, we just straight up don't. And if you disagree with us, okay, game's not out. I'll see you in five years when it's still not out. Yeah, and I, I just want to give him some benefit of the doubt because I, I don't like to assume that anyone is a straight-up scammer. But I don't think he do is exist, a straight-up so. scammer, but it's an effective Ponzi scheme. Yeah. I'm tired of this. It's a Ponzi scheme, even if he didn't mean for it to be one. <laughs> oh, all right, I got to move on. Yoda King writes in just like you can and says, how do portable monitors stack up to the non-portable ones? Are they good for gaming? And would they be ideal for needing to be more mobile? like a small computer and portable monitor, or should you just get a laptop at that point? Also, any recommendations? So yeah, I actually made a portable monitor video that I never released <laughs> uh, months ago, just because I just, I just didn't think it was quite up there to being worth dropping into the feed. And I think you know this, Dan, I own two portable monitors. I got one for $100 on Amazon. It's a 1600p 10 inch. It's powered by USB, micro USB, like you can just power it from a USB port and it uses mini HDMI and that's it. And I use that if I need to check one of my mining rigs, I just hold this tiny tablet sized monitor, plug it into the rig and check how it's doing. That's what I use that monitor for. But then I also have a 4K60 um, IPS 16 inch that cost me a few hundred bucks. I mean, you've seen it, Dan, is it impressive? I mean, yeah, they're really cool monitors. I, I, I don't really have a need for them personally, but if, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you go on a lot of business trips, I can definitely see the value in having something like that. And keep in mind, this works with my PS4 Pro. So I've gone on business trips where the PS4 Pro is small enough that I can throw it into my suitcase, fly somewhere. And this monitor is just thrown in the suitcase as well. It's super thin. It's against the size of a tablet. I'll get to the hotel room, pop out the PS4. Or my desktop. I also had a desktop as big of a, as a PS4 a while ago. And I will just plug it into this 4K monitor. Boom, I'm playing Borderlands 3 4K with Dan while I'm in Canada. I did. That's what I did. Yeah. I was in Canada with a PS4. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I personally don't have a use, but there's definitely a use case for it. And I think Tom has some good recommendations for portable monitors. <laughs> you know, the brands keep changing. I actually don't. I mean, there's so... I, I go to eBay or Amazon. I look for a good resolution screen size that I want. And then I just make sure it has a ton of reviews. Because there's so many Chinese brands at this point making them. And let's be clear about what these portable monitors are. The cheap Chinese ones I buy. And cheap doesn't mean low quality, by the way. Some of them are. If they're below 100 bucks. They're usually pretty janky. Well, yeah, and you and I, for a while, we ne neither you or I ever end up, ended up getting one, but we were looking at the, those like cheap South Korean 1440p monitors that were a big thing in the market for a while, and I'm assuming that the mobile monitor market is pretty similar to that, right? Yeah, you just make sure there's plenty of reviews. If you can find a website that's reviewed this particular model, look for it. But otherwise, just do your due diligence. And on Amazon, remember, if it has Prime, they'll let you return it if it doesn't work. So that's where I got one of them. What I would say is don't be so surprised about the price. Because I think a lot of people will look at these. And for instance, I got a 4K IPS monitor for under 300 bucks, And it's 16 inches. And they'll go, oh, wow, that's really high quality. Uh, why is it so cheap? Guys, they're just using a laptop panel. Yeah, I mean, well, that's why I brought in the comparison to like the 1440p Korean monitors because 
these are just like the not technically high enough quality yields to give to like Apple or HP or whatever, whoever they would distribute to. Yeah. So this is not hard to do. And the one thing I will say that you guys really might want to look for, and this might be interesting for desktop users. You know, for me, I've got three 24-inch monitors. Dan, don't you have a 28-inch? Yeah, 28-inch. And then you have a side 23-inch, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what fits on our desks. And I have a giant desk. I plan on upgrading to like a 30-inch eventually, uh, or at least three of those or something. We'll see. Um, but some people have smaller desks. Some people like 20-inch monitors. If you do, I happen to know for a fact, I believe it's like an 18 or 19-inch 1800p monitor. So that's four times 900p. And I think it's 120 hertz. Like guys, and it was like 200 bucks IPS. So if you want a smaller monitor, that's just big enough where you could almost use it with a desktop on a desk. And man, what a deal, right? Yeah. And it comes with mounting. You can mount it. I think you can mount it too. So it's a tiny monitor, but if you have a small desk in college, there you go. There's a 19-inch monitor, 1800p, below 4K, but it goes up to like 120 hertz. Dude, that's like perfect for PC gaming. I, in fact, I wish they made that uh, at 23-inch because I would buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope we helped. I certainly recommend them. You just, you know, you got to look at reviews and you got to accept that they're not cheap because they're a bad deal. They're just cheap because they're not that expensive to make and there's a lot of gouging going on in the PC gaming market right now and uh, you are going to take a little bit of a leap of faith. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. All right. Final question, Dan. Guitar Guy 515 writes in and says, I'd like to see your predictions for 2019 pricing for various parts like SSD, RAM, CPUs, GPUs, and power supplies. I don't think power supplies get much cheaper over time. I think they've gotten higher quality yeah. over time though. Yeah, I mean, I haven't checked power supplies for a while, but it seems like they dropped a little bit for a while, but I don't know, let's, let me. Yeah, you look that up and I'll keep talking. So I think RAM and SSDs are continuing to get cheaper. I think SSDs are going to start to get dirt cheap. I mean, I was, I'm specking out stuff for my PC. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do when I upgrade, but the plan right now is a 3950X. I'm going to use my same RAM and just get a new motherboard. And in fact, I might just get a new bracket with the same liquid cooler I already have. Apparently, the 3950X doesn't use a lot of energy. So I might just do that. It'll be a pretty simple upgrade. Uh, and then I'll get one PCIe 4.0, one terabyte drive, I think, to start. And maybe just use the existing dual terabyte RAID I have for editing. And then that's it. And then I'll just leave the extra slot open for when cheaper SSDs come out. But I don't really see the need to buy up a lot right now because I really think SSDs are going to be half as expensive in a year. Like, really. And I think RAM is going to continue to get cheaper. Everything I've seen indicates that RAM prices are going down. SSD prices are going down. I mean, I think there's a very good chance the PS5 is going to come with a one or two terabyte NVMe SSD. And they're not going to do that unless they can get them for like 40 bucks each, guys. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I'm assuming that they would get a... De huge discount because of like a bulk purchase but yeah it's it, prices uh for things that aren't cpus or gpus so like the ssds rams they they all seem to generally be declining in uh price pretty fast like and i can see well, i expect can, that to continue 
Yeah, and you can get, yeah, I mean, right now you can get a one terabyte SSD like around $100. And if you're really looking to buy cheap, you can get it sub $100, I'm sure. Yeah. And so I guess to summarize, SSDs, I think they're going to get a lot cheaper. I think RAM's going to get a bit cheaper. I think CPUs will continue to go down in price. I just do. They're going to continue to go down in price. Then Zen 3 will come out. Comet Lake's going to come out. Possibly Rocket Lake late next year, by the way, guys. That's a whole other discussion, though. (laughs) And I think GPUs will slowly decline in price as well, crescendoing into the next-gen consoles where I think there will be a big reckoning in prices. Power supplies, probably going to stay the same. So I have a, what is it, $1,050, not $1,050, 1,050-watt power supply. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, they're no cheaper than when I bought it like three years ago. So I don't think those are going to go down in price. And I've got tons of 1,000 to 1,200-watt power supplies for my mining rigs. I haven't noticed they're much cheaper. They're a bit cheaper just because the prices went up for when everyone was building mining rigs. But uh, <laughs> they're not really much cheaper. I, I'm not, And when it comes to like the 400 to 600-watt range, they've been the same price for like the past five years, 10 years. Yeah. The, I will <laughs> say again, though, I do feel like when I look at the power supplies now, the prices aren't lower, but they look like they're higher quality. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's definitely true. Like, they seem to generally be higher efficiency just overall now, too. So, which is good. And and then Guitar Guy also asks, could you have a discussion with your audio engineer about what they look for in a build for one of the podcasts? So I know actually kind of what Gerard has. Maybe I'll do a podcast with him at some point. Um, I think he has onboard uh, audio right now, though. I don't believe he has a sound card. I could, of course, be wrong and be misremembering, but I believe he has that, like a 580 and a quad core. He's going to upgrade soon, though. Um, But I'll tell you this much. I bought my current ITX motherboard because it came with a somewhat dedicated, not dedicated, but almost dedicated sound card built into the motherboard because Asus also makes sound cards. And the one I'm looking at right now for my 3950X build comes with a sound card built in. I showed you it, Dan. It literally has a slotted sound card built in, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, and, 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 and that's kind of what I look for. I look for, for audio engineering. Well, I'll speak for, and I'm speaking for myself, not for Gerard right now, guys. I look for an optical audio out. And I look at the reviews for what the onboard audio is. And I know ASRock and Gigabyte, especially Gigabyte from what I remember, really skimp on the onboard audio. <laughs> and Asus tends to have better onboard audio. But ASRock and their higher-end Threadripper boards, I believe a couple of them have really good onboard audio. So you just got to look for the reviews. And I know the DTX X570 motherboard I'm looking at right now from Asus. I don't remember the name of it. But it literally comes with a slotted audio card and all of the ports you would want with that. And that's something I look for. And and one thing I will say is this, do I think most people should get a sound card? Not if it's a budget build, but if you're doing a $2,000 build, if your motherboard doesn't come with a good sound card, I kind of recommend it actually at this point. (laughs) Every single person I've talked to says, hey, look, those $50 to $100 sound cards, they sound substantially better than the onboard audio. They really do. And I did notice a difference with my like semi-dedicated audio card in my Asus board I have compared to my previous one. Like it sounds better. Like I don't know if you've ever noticed it. Like the sound out of my PC sounds pretty good, doesn't it, Dan? Yeah. Like, and so you can tell the difference. But if you're under $800, it's almost never worth it to get a sound card. Do you have anything to add to that? Um, No, not really. <laughs> and I think that's kind of been the unanimous opinion 
of most hardware websites for years now is, hey, look, if you're doing a $2,000 build and you have a big enough build, maybe consider a sound card. Like, it will make a difference if you're actually going to use it. Uh, at least it adds a bunch of ports, right? Like, maybe multiple optical <laughs> audio. And I, I insist on optical audio out because I do think it sounds better. And you've noticed that, Dan. I have tons of optical devices all over my house. <laughs> yes, you do. I, I, I made the decision in college. I'm like, this is better. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dan, that's all the reader mail. That's all of the stories. Uh, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, No, I don't think there's anything else. Yeah, the only thing I will say is I was definitely tired for this episode, so hopefully this isn't the worst episode in broken silicon history. <laughs> but we tried. Hopefully you were entertained. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And, you know, if you're listening to this, if you're at the end here, which I don't know, is probably 10% of you, you know, if you're a hitchhiker, consider supporting us on Patreon. I added a new goal to the Patreon, actually, Dan. I don't think you know that. Um, and it was a little loose with what its goals were. It basically just said, hey, look, Gerard spends dozens of hours a week editing. I work a 50-hour work week, and then I spend 16 hours working on the weekend, which if you can't tell by how tired I am, is not a lie. And Dan, you sometimes rush back from the lab to record four podcasts in a row, right? Hell yeah. And I also work on weekends in lab. <laughs> yeah. And like, and then we also have Carbon Cry editing articles when I ever get the time to do them. Like, there's a lot of work going into this. And so eventually, there's just going to have to be a point where we go, are we going to start paying Gerard more than Scraps and Dan? And are, am I going to be, I can't burn the candle at both ends. Like, I took PTO to go to Hot Chips. So that's what the next goal is about. It's basically, hey, look, right now we're cementing our content output. It's a podcast a week and a video a week, hopefully. And we want to keep that stable and forever and start paying people. I want to file this as a small business. And that's going to take getting to the next level. So if you're holding out, look, supporting us for $2 a month gets you I don't know, like three die shrinks a month. I mean, what is that? Like 75 cents an episode. And then if you go to $4, you also get to submit reader mail and you also get an ad-free version of the podcast. We've got some fun episodes coming for the rest of the year. I hope you enjoy them. I hope you do too. <laughs> Not really helping me out there, Dan. I, I don't know what else to add, man. <laughs> well, I guess I'll just say goodbye then. Goodbye. Sweet dreams, darlings. Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast, is predominantly brought to you by me, Tom, of Moore's Law is Dead. You can find all of my content, including videos, articles, and this podcast at www.moreslawsdead.com. And of course, it is also often co-hosted by my brother, Dan. And it is edited by my sound engineer, Gerard Cortez. You can find his contact information at www.moreslawsdead.com. You can also find the contact information of my article editor, Carbon Cry. Now, of course, if you want to keep the show running, I really do hope you rate me on your podcasting platform of choice. Share it with your friends. And if you have the money, but only if you do, consider supporting me on Patreon at Moore's Law is Dead. If you do, you get access to the Discord to talk to other enlightening people who work not just at AMD, not just at NVIDIA, but often in the server space and other computing areas that people often overlook. And of course, 
If you support it, you can get access to reading these people's names that keep the show running. But without further ado, let me give thanks to my greatest supporters. On November 17th, 2019, the following supporters are at the net first 10 gigahertz or higher supporter level. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Ruckus, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Tomas Baraz, Jesse Blanton, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Matthew Brubacher, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Carl Marco, Otterweisek, Thyris with the Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Daniel Cash, Night Rogue, 77, Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Bollocks, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Schof, Frederick Lau, Alexander Delar, Olethros, Telos, Kaiden, Greg G. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, Exodi, Wani Carebear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Nick Neasy, Ali Robertson, Gordon Lamb, and Carbon Cry. Thank you to everyone, and thank you to Sahara for the excellent music. Mm-hmm.